0: I heard back from a lot of you guys on the episode last week. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote in. Um, I think it's hilarious, but pretty much everyone said something about how they want to hear news on the podcast. Trust me, everyone, there is not much going on out there. You are not missing much. That's part of the reason why I didn't just revert back to the original format of the show in the first place when we came back. But I hear you. And on top of that, a bunch of others said that they loved retrospective talks. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do both. Every episode from here on out, I'm just going to do, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, maybe 20. It depends on how many stories there are of the biggest scene news every week. And the rest, we're going to talk about some sort of retrospective dive. This week, we got news from 21 Pilots, Sleeping with Sirens, Bringing the Horizon, Man Overboard, and Greeley Estates. And for the deep dive, we're going to talk about one of my favorite scene footnotes, the From First to Last and a Supergroup that most people don't even know existed called The New Tragic. So first off, we're just going to jump into news. Uh, 21 Pilots released a new song called Level of Concern. This is their first song since 2018, and it's in response to the coronavirus pandemic and quarantining. And the whole song is really based around that what the world is going through right now and what people are going through on a day-to-day basis inside their homes. And, you know, sonically, Millennial Disco is just taking over right now. I actually talked to Matt right when the song came out, and we were talking about it and what it sounds like and how it's reflective of what's what's changing right now in the pop landscape. And we were trying to chase back where Millennial Disco's first moment was, and it was really this song called Say So by a rapper named Doja Cat. Um, If you've been on TikTok over the last few months, you've definitely heard it. Next, after that song, it was really the new album from The Weeknd and Dua Lipa's new album. And now it's 21 Pilots. Matt hates this sound. I'm a huge fan of it. When done right, those fat-ass grooves that just bleed through the hooks, you can't ignore them. Like, they literally just seep into your brain. And uh, I think it makes for great, great pop music. Sonically, this 21 song is great. I think the math adds up on it. The hook has a great groove to it, but where 21 lose all of their momentum here is the lyrics. Tyler Joseph really says, and I shit you not. I can't help but to think I haven't felt this way since I asked you to go steady, wondering, would you be my little quarantine or is just or is this just the way it ends? Tyler, you you fucking 31 years old. Like grow the fuck up or just write children's music. You can do that, that's fine, but don't mask it as 21 Pilots. The Click doesn't realize it because they're so blinded by their dedication to the band, but they deserve so much better than what he gave with this song, lyrically. Uh, performance-wise, it did 1.2 million Spotify streams on the first day. It got uploaded around noon, uh on thursday so it only you know it it lost about 12 hours of that 24 hour period it did about 5 million youtube streams in the first 24 hours and it trended at number one um on the trending chart and it put it didn't spotify's uh us daily streams chart didn't update right away but it would have been at number five on the first day. The second day it did, you know, in the first full 24 hour span, it did I think 921,000 right around there. So it's already dropping in its first full 24 hour period. I don't expect this song to survive well um, we haven't really seen 21 exist in a TikTok world on the other hand yet so if this song does survive the initial click push which is what we saw over the first like 36 hours or so it'll be because of TikTok. the song won't stream well without that in the long run but to to, to look back on 21 and where things kind of went wrong for them 21 were at their best with heathens and i think that's just an indisputable footnote a weird twist on dark pop with this fantastic, like, provocative, yet, you know, surface level shallow one-liner, all my friends are heathens, I think that's exactly where they should keep writing at, and and uh, Trench was just too obscure and outlandish for top, the top forty market at the time, and we called it on the show like these. They, it was not going to be as big as Blurry Face, and it really feels, you know, up until this song, the Trench Cycle was nothing compared to what Blurryface was. 21 songs have never been overtly special, sonically. They got to their peak through their lyrics, and now we see them in a spot where they actually wrote a great pop song and filled it with lyrics that a five-year-old could have wrote. I mean, like, fuck that. Like, fuck that so hard. I'm at, like, a 6.7 out of 10 on the song. If you put the same caliber lyrics from Heathen on there, I'm at... Probably like a high eight at this point I really really like the song and it bums me out so much that the lyrics are just not there at all but moving on sleeping with sirens put up a Teaser of a new song and it's the heaviest they've ever sounded where the fuck did this come from? I have no idea but Jack Fowler sleeping with sirens guitarist put a clip of the song on his Twitter and his Instagram story and it's 110% just metalcore. On his story, he said, at Kellen Quinn, when are we going to let him have it? So this song is definitely coming. And on Twitter, he said, Sirens 2020. We've heard Kellen kind of show his high screams over the years and his, his fries and... You know, we, we've heard that side of him, but he's like doubling down on that and then throwing in these nasty lows that we've never heard from him before. But it's so fucking funny to think about tw- like 2017 Sleeping With Sirens when they signed a Warner and put out that bullshit gossip album, and now they're writing the heaviest shit they've ever put out, not even, you know, a full three years later. We ran a story for this clip on the website and uh, it's, it's even just in the last two days, it's been the biggest post on, on the site in terms of traffic uh, for the whole last week. But if anyone in the Sleeping or Sumerian camp is listening right now, let's go, let's drop that shit because it you got my attention for sure. Will this make Sleeping With Sirens bigger? Absolutely not, but it's fun as hell. Um, in the same vein of Sleeping going heavy, Bring Me The Horizon have been recording their new album. And they've been posting a shit ton of updates on their Instagram uh, as far as, like, video goes. And... But basically in every video they're detailing exactly kind of what they're doing and it seems like they're just laying down kind of basic rough cuts for everything right now. But there's one where Ali was putting down vocals for a new song and it the song itself sounded pretty damn heavy but he was actually screaming on it. And in the video he laughs and says the guttural is back. 2020 is the year of the guttural. Will we get, like, classic Suicide Silence vibes on this album? Most likely not. Like, I, I don't even think that we're going to get anywhere close to Sempaternal. But I'm assuming, you know, we'll get more, of, more along the lines of their Luden song, which was a Lucy they dropped late last year. But we'll see. I genuinely enjoyed Ammo as an album, but if they can't replicate the magic of Drown and That's the Spirit and everything that we got from moving the Horizon in 2015, I just want them to be a metalcore band again. But like I said, we'll see. This was just a fun kind of quirky story of uh, another scene band harkening back to their, uh, their upcoming days. But uh, moving on. Man Overboard is back. Literally nobody asked for this. I mean, three people tops. They released a comeback song called Lifeline. I listened to that, and then I ended up going back and listening to some of their older shit that I listened to back in, like, I don't know, 2012, 2011, when, when Mana was, like, the really cool pop punk band alike, and that was before the, the second wave of pop punk Really, you know, caught its stride and started to take off in 2013 and 2014, and then into 2015. But yes, Mano, we're at ground level. But how did we let this band get any momentum in the first place? That they have quite possibly the worst vocal presence in all of pop punk, and that says a lot. Because other than Patrick snump nobody in pop punk has ever been able to sing well. Like I said, it's called Lifeline you're just gonna end up turning on their old shit anyways. It's just a forgettable emo pop punk song that will give the three people that wanted this band back some nostalgia, but... It, it, it is not worth, you know, it's it's nothing to write home about, and if you were even, like, a casual Mano fan, you can just completely write this one off. But out of complete left field, we have some Greeley Estates news to talk about this week, and we kind of made this one happen on our own. Um, this is just a fun one for all the real ones from the late 2000s. So I posted logos of Chiodo's, Drop Dead Gorgeous Kites, Airplane and Greeley Estates on Twitter and told people, the status was bring one band back from the dead. The tweet, it, it started to take off. It got a lot of organic engagement. And then Telly from The Word Alive responded a couple times. I've never been shy about my distaste for uh Telly, but the dude has a shit ton of scene history in him. He's been in Emerosa uh, Greeley, In Fear and Faith, and The Word Alive, and you know, he'll never let you forget the time he filled in for Underoath for a show, but that was only one time, but it was literally on his Wikipedia page for years that his one of his associated acts was Under Oath, and I Karen fucking T you he wrote that shit. But anyways, he responded to our tweet and he said 2008 Greeley lineup for Go West young man. We have a group chat and talk about making music again from time to time, but honestly, everyone is so busy with families and work, it will be hard to make happen. Then a fan tweeted about asking uh asking about possible shows. And he said, "We played a reunion show in December 2018 and everybody wants to play more. It's just got to be a timing thing and most likely in SoCal." Uh, Phoenix area only. So uh, the interesting takeaway from all of that is that they have the door open to do shit. Greeley did put out an EP in 2017 called uh, Calling All the Hopeless. The production quality made it pretty lackluster it's not anything that i've revisited after he sent this tweet up and some people were saying that they put out an ep in 2017 i went back and listened to it and it's 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 nothing that you need to listen to right now Uh, The production was super MIDI and like preset bass. And it sounds like they recorded everything with presets, especially the drums. But Ryan still sounds great. Like you can still tell it's Ryan. He's still got some of that fire left inside of him. So I'd love to even just get a taste of that 2000 Energy back in some form. If we could do that, that'd be fantastic. But all right. So that is the news for this week. Going to move on to our little retrospective dive. And there's going to be... I dug up as much info as I could for this story because this is one of my favorite footnotes in scene history, and and no one remembers that any of this shit happens, which is crazy because back then, a from first to last Under Oath supergroup in a headline would have just shut, set shit off in like an absolute punk forum, but even with the Wayback Machine, I can't get through to much of what was posted about this band. There's a couple old news articles from like punk news, and uh, there's a Last.fm bio, even their pure volume bio got removed, their MySpace page got removed way, way back in the day, and they changed it to like some pizza shop or some shit. But so the new tragic was a band that was completely lost to scene history. Phil Reardon, and I want to make this footnote clear because it's it's been confused many times over the years. He, Phil Reardon is not from First to Last's original vocalist. He's just the one that was a... F- that was featured on their first official ep which was called aesthetic that ep isn't on streaming services which bums me out it's great i found out this week that it's you can get a hard copy a physical copy of it for five bucks on amazon so as soon as i i've been moving some shit around here at home while we've been under quarantine and uh i'm gonna cop that here in a little bit but um the first vocalist for from first to last was matt good so after matt good stepped away and kind of focused more on just the screams and guitars and i'm sure like writing most of the songs, they brought in Phil for this EP, and he form Phil formed the new tragic after he was out of From First to Last. Um, before his stint in From First to Last, or maybe around the same time, I don't know the exact timeline around this part, he also, you know, quote-unquote tour managed Under Oath and My Chemical Romance and points in throughout the early, early, early 2000s, um, this kind of, that that relationship, his relationship with Mike Kim and this is just a random footnote, gave me my favorite tweet of all time and it is from Mikey Way in 2009 and this tweet sums up everything you need to know about Phil Reardon. Mikey Way tweeted at Phil, not responding to anything, just directly adding him saying, holy shit, it's filthy Phil. How the fuck are you living? And that literally is everything you need to know about Phil Reardon. But there's a lot of uncertainty about how much under oath's original vocalist dallas taylor was actually involved in the new tragic uh, the new tragic only ever officially released three songs they were called they don't make hallmark cards for moments like this you're so jazz face and half Cock smile and two guns blazing another demo leaked but it wasn't a full song and that demo doesn't have any work done on phil's vocals and it sounds fucking awful awful and if you go through the comments of that leaked demo you'll see someone claiming to have worked with Phil or had been in the band and helped record that demo and they said that it was absolutely awful with Phil in the studio there was so much work that had to be done on all of his vocals at any given moment that it wasn't even worth him to even lay down any tracks but those three songs all contain skeletal structures that ended up on Under Oath's Throne Chasing Safety. So to dive down this bit of the rabbit hole, all of this next bit of information that I'm gonna lay out will come back with different answers based on who you asked. So Under Oath was working on a follow-up to The Changing of Times while Dallas Taylor was still in the band. According to Dallas, and this is on video record, the album was originally going to be called "Dear Misery," not "They're Only Chasing Safety." Aaron Gillespie, on the other hand, has denied this in a podcast in like 2014 or 2015. I can't, I can't remember exactly when it came out, but I was at AP in the time, and I thought it was so funny that he literally he was like, "No, that's the worst name ever. Why would we name anything that?" But Dallas is also on record saying that's what the album was going to be called. So. An early version of "Downset Go, which was which is a song on The Early Chasing Safety, which was originally called Korn's Defeat, where the chorus has the lyrics, we're not forever, our hope is wearing out. The new tragic song, Half Cock Smile, has the same chorus as that. Reinventing Your Exit, which is off The Only Chasing Safety, was originally called Look Past the Bright Lights. And the bridge to the new tragic song, They Don't Make Hallmark Cards, the lyrics are, Looking past the bright lights, can you see me now? At that time, when all of this was going on between Under Oath and Dallas, and and Dallas had already started Mayleen at this time, Mayleen and the Sons of Disaster. This was about a year after. Maylene put out their first album so the, the the story goes that Under Oath kicked Dallas out because he was having too much drama with his girlfriend at the time and Dallas didn't take any of these pre-Chasing Safety songs to Maylene So he saw the New Tragic as this opportunity to use some of them the other drama with Dallas and the New Tragic was this video that they had recorded for Halfcock Smile, although uh, Dallas claims he never actually sang or performed on any of the new tragic songs, he was just in the studio with them when they recorded them or whenever they laid down the demos. He was in the video for Halfcock Smile, and he's also in every promo for the band. So it's interesting that he says he's not on these songs because there are moments in in the two songs that definitely, definitely sound like Dallas screaming, but this video for Halfcock Smile features shots of him and Phil in the back of a limo with a couple strippers and Dallas you know at the time coming from and claiming the whole Christcore scene it just was not the best look for him i i've heard two stories on you know what exactly happened and how he got in that situation in the first place it apparently it's either the band lied to him and said that none of the footage was going to be used in the video or the video was supposed to be a parody of what rock stars looked like uh it turns out that phil just made one of the scene's biggest douchecore moments ever and honestly like it probably rivals like Treyu's right side of the bed video like that's the level that this thing is on but these songs themselves are are really, really fun, and when you start to unpack the layers behind how they're so intertwined with They're Only Chasing Safety, and Under Oath, and From First to Last, and even outside of Under Oath and From First to Last, another fun fact, the New Tragic also had Don Arthur, who played in Cute Is What We Aim For for a super, super short time, but... He was the New Tragic's basis. So if you really want to say it, it's from first to last, Under Oath, and Cute is what we aim for. So after the New Tragic just basically completely dissolved, we don't know exactly what was happening. At the time, I've read news reports, there's one that's still live on punknews.com that says they were recording an album at that time i mean this project was so short-lived it wasn't even funny but supposedly they were working on an album all that ever came out was those three songs and then that shitty demo that leaked but after the new tragic dissolved the other three members that were in it besides phil and dallas formed a band called it's alive And It's Alive was a very, in the mid to late 2000s, we saw a lot of post-hardcore bands that had like that radio rock sheen over them. And some of them even got updrafted to major labels. I think when Anne Berlin got updrafted to a major, that's the idea behind that move. Unfortunately for any band who did get updrafted to a major label and had that post-hardcore with a rock radio sheen over it, all this shit was done by the late 2000s and it wasn't going to go anywhere. That being said, the feel-good drag when Amberlynn re-released it, big success for them. That was probably the biggest commercial moment of their career. But if they would have done that in like 2004, would have been way, way bigger. So they formed a band called It's Alive. They released one album. There are some really, really good songs on that album, but that's the only connection. I see a lot of people talk about, is there a member of Under Oath and It's Alive? as far as i know that's the only connection that that band has with under oath from first to last etc there were three members uh from the new tragic that weren't phil and uh dallas that formed that band and then they released that album um it's a fun record it's on spotify you can go look it up there uh there's a handful of Pretty solid, good, you know, rocky post hardcore songs on there, but I love these new tragic demos. It's partially, for sure, the story behind them, but the way that they sound sonically, and, and the drama behind it, and the fucking one-liners that they came out with the lyrics for them, it's so emblematic of the time, and it was just so much fun to be able to live through that, and experience it. Because you look back now, and we don't have anything like this. And as just a screamo nerd, like these, I go back to these songs all the fucking time. I listen to them. At the very, very least, I'll go through all three of them and listen to them once a month. The third song is called um, You're So Jazz Face, and it has the opening lyric is, I'm convinced that my heart is in my wrist. Just everything about that era on steroids. That's what these three songs were, and that's what the new tragic was. And it's just so funny to look back, and it's, it's, a, it's a scene footnote that's been completely lost to history. Dallas hates that any of this happened with the new tragic if you know he's come out and said that he if if he could go back he'd never be a part of it which is a shame that it all ended up that way because this is a really fun thing to look back on but i do understand it and uh you know dallas was involved in an atv crash i've talked about it in the show a couple times back in 2016 and he was actually pronounced dead on the scene of the incident. And they took him, you know, they airlifted him to a hospital. He ended up surviving. He has a ton, ton, ton of medical complications. Still, years later, we're 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 coming up on three years later, and he still can't live a normal life. He has a lot of things wrong with him, but he's still pulling through. He's semi-active on Instagram, but there is a GoFundMe that I've linked in the story for this podcast post on the website. So if you feel compelled to do so, donate there um dallas's mother is in charge of the funds from that so you know it's going directly to directly to dallas and to help his family because his parents are the ones that are taking care of him right now but that's the story of the new tragic, like I said, one of the many footnotes just completely lost to the scene's history. And that's, that's a lot of what I want to do for these retrospective segments. But I can also do, you know, someone wrote in this week that they wanted to do a retrospective just unpacking the history of Of, of Mice and Men. I'll totally do that. Would love to do that. Uh, if you've got any ideas on who you want me to do a deep dive on next week or if you want me to do a deep dive just on like something like The Taste of Chaos or, or a tour that you loved or, or a moment or a label, I would, I would love to unpack all of that. So send them to me, scene at gmail.com. We'll see what kind of rabbit hole I fall down next. Until then, please stay safe out there and I will talk to you soon.